This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in, however you're listening in, through your favorite podcast, be it obviously Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all kinds of different ways. Just search Cajun Strong Style, a pro wrestling podcast. And as always, let's say if you're on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and leave us a five-star review and make sure you let us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, or whatever. And we'll make sure to mention those on the broadcast. Because trust me, we want, we want to let you know we appreciate you doing that for us. Because we know how much time it probably takes out of your day, what have you. But without further ado, let's get right into the wrestling, shall we? And I was absolutely happy to see this weekend Bound for Glory. I haven't watched an Impact pay-per-view in a while. I mean, I've talked about them before in the past on this show. But honestly, outside of some of the bigger shows, and this is without a doubt their WrestleMania, I don't necessarily watch week to week. I keep tabs on. I see what's going on on the Twitter. And they have some really cool things going on with their product. And honestly, this was no exception. I'm going to go ahead and get right into it. They wound up having the Impact Digital Media Championship open up the show and I'm using open in air quotes here in the studio is the fact that they open up the show, the kickoff show, if you will, with a six way final for the impact digital media championship, a brand new, like lower tier title. Because I still feel like we were going to go ahead and rank these titles that impact has had. I think the X division title is very much their intercontinental championship. This is very much like a European title. At least it's the way it's going to be marketed as such. But the Digital Media Championship is going to be an intergender championship, which is going to be kind of cool. And they kind of pushed that part of the conversation with this match itself. He's had Jordan Grace, John Schuyler, Madison Rain, who was filling in for Tennille Dashwood, Falaba, Crazy Steve, shout out to the Menagerie, and Chelsea Green all facing off. And immediately everybody's just starting to beat the tar out of John Schuyler to start the contest. And it's so hard to keep track on what's going on. And this is a match where everybody's got to get their stuff in. It's a seven-minute match. Or I think it was actually like six minutes. But it was very much like seven, eight minutes left until the main card started. So it's like, okay, we need to get our bleep in here. Jordan Grace had a really great sequence with Mafala Bob. She had a really good sequence with him. Some big hoss type stuff. John Skyler stopped the momentum of Grace. Green gets some stuff in on Skyler. Then we see Crazy Steve get his stuff in. And Rain had a really good tilt-to-world DDT. She doesn't necessarily wrestle nearly as much, but she's underrated amongst like the all-time impact, TNA, whatever you want to call it, knockouts division. Grace at one point hits a fantastic muscle buster on Chelsea Green for two. It's a very much chaotic match. Great. At one point, I, I turn around and then I go back. I'm turning around, going look at what's going on. In college football, that oh hey, I'm seeing Jordan Grace hitting the Grace driver on Skyler, and that's about it. She is the first ever Impact Digital Media Champion. A very chaotic match that was fun, but not necessarily the best in the technical aspect. It gets a two and a half links to Boudet, though. Entertaining, 
just felt like it could have had a little more time to breathe rather than just seven minutes of complete chaos. Then they had a really great video package hyping up the main event between Josh Alexander and Christian Cage. It really sold the story, and they replayed it again at the end of the show like we always see, but it hyped up the main event and the reasons why Josh Alexander wants to win the title. And there's a great illusion of things to come later on in the show. But we start off with the Decay defending their Impact Knockouts Championship against the Inspiration, the former Iconics. And they get a live performance entrance. I'm like, okay, they're going to do the job. And we'll get to what happened in the match itself in a little bit. And they come out doing their typical shtick to get a live performance intro. And honestly, the lip syncing could have done a better job is what it is. Sometimes just live TV or live interview in this case. And they come out, the inspiration comes out and they're wearing like basically one of those see-through negligees that you see that would wear a woman would wear when they're about to kind of get intimate with somebody. That's kind of what it immediately felt like for a hot minute. Just seeing them make their entrance. And then underneath that, on they have like basically it's all like skin color outfit that reminds me a lot of the VMAs, the iconic pun intended VMAs performance from Britney Spears in 2000 when she did oops I did it again and she stripped off the the outfit she had on and somebody it 100% reminded me of that and they got a promo and it's very much the typical kind of stuff from them and then Decay comes out and Rosemary started off the match and, it, and it, she looked good in this contest but I think the big story was how is the inspiration going to counteract Havoc because the entire time that she got into the ring she overpowered both Cassie and Jessica McKay. Both these two just got dismantled. Decay tried to get the double team on Cassie Lee, but Havoc goes down on the outside to a low bridge, and she's out for a while. That helps get Jessica McKay in. Cassie had a really great blind tag at one point on Rosemary, where she got the tag on. She got the ta- she tagged McKay, tagged in in place of McKay. Then, as Rosemary is running to the corner. McKay moves out of the way. Cassie basically lifts her leg. Not, not the normal way, no. She pretty much almost did like a full like cart, like a full handstand in one fell swoop. It was one of those like, what the hell just happened? It's something that you need to go see to believe in that match. At one point, Havoc kind of takes over again, hits a spear, but McKay breaks it up. She goes for a leg drop, but misses. And it looks rough. Like it looks like it legitimately like injures her for a little bit, but she managed to like to no sell it gets back into the action about like two seconds later. Next thing you know, Cassie responds with a good double team offense and takes her to the outside. Rosemary tries to roll up Cassie, but there's a blind tag and Jessica McKay is able to get that. Rosemary rolls up and she's set up and it, you, it takes a few seconds. That was the weird part. It takes a few seconds. She has it locked in. The ref is not counting. She's telling him to count. But then Cassie basically pushes her and then, you know, McKay hits a big knee and the, the powerbomb neckbreaker combo gets the win and we have new knockouts tag team champions. Again, two and a half links of Buda. Good match. Got the crowd into it. Very fun stuff. 
but I just wanted to see a little bit more to start the show. It, it felt like it was too short. It didn't do nearly enough for the people involved in that match. And it felt like it was the expected ending. Now you're just hopeful that it doesn't go full WWE and we see the team of Decay break up because of this. Because honestly, the Decay gimmick is pretty freaking cool. Especially now they've had Black Taurus and all these other things. So we get to the X Division title match. This is your next match. And at first I thought this was going to be Ultimate X, but nope. It is just a regular triple threat match between El Fantasmo, Steve Macklin, and Trey Miguel. And Miguel and Macklin start off the match, and it's a perfect showcase of this X Division. It's pretty much the tried and true method. And you don't believe me? Go check out Samoa Joe, Daniels, AJ Styles. Two high flyers that can just get the crowd going with the technical moves and a big guy that can just slow the match down and make it work. And these two had a phenomenal, like, sequences all throughout. At one point, Miguel's on the, excuse me, Macklin's on the outside of the ring. Miguel does the whole, like, 619, but does a feint, and then into a head scissors. Steve tees the powerbomb, but Miguel gets right out of it. And it's so fluid all the way through it. Every single time you saw Trey Miguel do that, kind of stuff. It was impressive. He continued to have these this like match that put him over a lot more in my eyes. And he winds up, you know, winning, but it's all about what happens in the ring itself later on. Because a few moments later, El Fantasma gets involved. And I the only way I can put this is he put Steve Macklin into a titty twister. He locked in a titty twister. I've never seen anybody in pro wrestling do that. But I honestly laughed my ass off when he did it. And Miguel had some really great spots throughout. At one point, you know, Macklin teased a top rope dive, but LP got a big kick on Macklin. Hits a beautiful moonsault to the outside a few moments later. Miguel winds up hitting a beautiful butterfly stunner from the apron to the outside. And the only reason why I knew this butterfly stunner is because I remember Angel Garza doing it. I had to went up like looking up exactly what it was called because I was about to say just a modified stunner. But it still looked great nonetheless. Trey hits a code red for two, goes for a submission, but Macklin rolls him up for two. Then he connects with a great DVD. That gets another two count. LP tries for a low blow in the finish, but it turns out Miguel was wearing a whole cup the entire time. It hit him with a brain buster on the protective cup to protect the Johnson. He hit a fantastic frog splash. Like The hang time on it was outstanding. And we have a new X Division champion for Links to Boot In. This may have been one of the best matches of the night in my mind. Definitely well worth a rewatch. And I love seeing Trey Miguel get an opportunity to run with the X Division title. I don't think he's near the world champion quality yet because I think he's going to be hidden in a certain part of the X Division, especially without the Rascals. But it's really cool to see him get what he deserves. Meanwhile, his friends out there in WWE land, MSK, they're getting the exact opposite of what they deserve. They're getting booed by NXT fans. And let me just go ahead and say, get that out of the way, because I, I usually get to what I liked and what I hated from wrestling this week. But I didn't include this. Mainly because one person in particular decided to make it about themselves and wound up being the biggest part of my discussion about the future of pro wrestling with Charlotte Flair. We'll talk about her later. But MSK is getting booed out of the building in NXT all because the parents don't like the comments that one 
MSK made a few years ago because of the fact you had the their daughter, the super fan, the super Mark Izzy out there taking a bump at 13 years old, taking a choke slam bump, which honestly should have never happened. But it's becoming more and more evident that's why they're getting booed when they're obviously like one of the hottest acts in NXT. Like, why are you booing a highly entertaining group? It doesn't make any sense to me. And it continues to make me wonder, do wrestling fans really deserve good wrestling? Because they continue to have moments where they are just complete and utter idiots. And they continue to do more jackass things and boo. And let me just say this. The person, the people that are chanting your dad's dead to MSK, kindly go play in the street. Go play in the interstate for a while. I don't want to say something else, but I'm not. Just please go play in the street. Don't be a wrestling fan. Don't, don't be a fan of anything. I don't want to see you be a fan of anybody because you don't deserve this. You are ruining this for everybody. And saying that your dad's dead is the most screwed up, heinous thing I've ever heard anybody chant in my life. Nobody should be calling that out. That is complete and utter bull. And it pisses me off as not a wrestling fan, but as a person in general. That's something you never would chant. Imagine if you're the person in that ring and some jackass decides to chant, your dad's dead. Honestly, if it was an indie show, I'd probably jump over the rail, beat the crap out of the guy because it's complete BS. It's beyond the pale. Why are you calling out a guy whose dad died? You should be lending a sympathetic ear to the guy, not chanting your dad's dead and making fun of him. Go to hell, person. Go to hell, Izzy's parents. This is the most neurotic and dumbass thing I've ever heard. And I'm sorry for getting on a rant about it, but honestly, it pissed me off. And especially because now it looks more and more evident that these two are just living their lives through this Mark Izzy. And Izzy wants to do all this stuff fine. It, it, it's a free, free country, do what you want. But damn it, learn from the right people. Don't learn from a person that's a racist and a person that's probably a pedo. Like, don't do that crap, okay? The WWE NXT 2.0 is being ruined by this hive mind that completely stands for a 13-year-old girl. A 13-year-old girl is more over than some of the NXT superstars, for Christ's sake. It's stupid. And it makes me wish... That they'd say, hey, you know what? We're not going to allow fans in the arena anymore. Just go back to the Thunderdome. Y'all don't deserve this. Because what they're doing right now is definitely not, not worth their time. And I'd say MSK should just demand get moved over to the main roster so they don't have to deal with this bull crap anymore. Izzy was a fun little gimmick for a while, but honestly, now it's just grown because she wants to do wrestling. Maybe her parents want her to get over even more. I hope she never goes to WWE because they're going to just boo everybody else and she's going to give the next Charlotte Flair. We'll talk about her later because I've got some very pointed thoughts about her crazy ass. All right, we're going to get back to Bound for Glory now because I'm going to calm down. Because we get a good moment here. Heath and a mystery partner, supposedly Rhino, taking on Violent by Design and they had a really good hype package building up this tag team match. And again, if you haven't watched TNA, if you haven't watched Impact Wrestling in a while, go anyway and go check this out. Because this speaks to giving people what they want and having a really good payoff. Heath is the first one out after Violent by Designs in the ring. Heath comes out. He's waiting for his tag team partner. His tag team partner is out there. And Violent by, by Design immediately attacks Heath before the match even begins. Heath fights back against Cody Diener, but it's not enough. Eventually, Joe Doring comes out. He 
puts on a really good match for his size, a veteran in the business. He had an amazing crossbody on Joe Doring for two. And one point, Diener, who looked a lot more like Spike Dudley, I hadn't seen Diener in a while. I completely forgot he was part of Impact and part of this group. But he looked very much like Brother Runt in TNA. But he wound up hitting a swan dive, going for a swan dive headbutt, but he moved out of the way. He starts fighting back. The match resets after a double down. Then Rhino's music hits. He comes out, and he's walking slowly. It's not the, the normal Rhino where he's running hard and he's running his ass off trying to get things done. And then he is a little bit conflicted about what he wants to do. Then Heath's right on the corner. Rhino just says, give me the tag. He gets tagged in, and he is an absolute house of fire. It's a massive belly to belly. It sets up the gore on Diener to get the win for him and his best friend, Heath and Rhino, back together again. Absolutely love this. Short match, expected stuff, but I got to go three three links of booting here. This is well worth it. So damn good. Now we get to the Call Your Shot Gauntlet Battle Royal. And Chris Saban into the ring first. Rocky Romero, big surprise there to see him get the second slot in this match. Love seeing him and impact even for a match. He's well-deserved indie talent, indie vet to say the least. Madman Fulton comes out after the opening two minutes. It was a very good stuff here between Saban and Romero. Full disclosure, Madman Fulton. It's definitely the big man versus the little man. And he starts going after it. And the smaller guys try and take down Madman. Then Rohit Raju tries to sneak into the contest and we see things even up. No one's really eliminated yet. The ring's going to start filling up. Tasha Steeles gets in and offers Romero on a silver platter, and then they all eliminate Rocky right after. Rachel Ellering is out next and it just immediately goes to Steeles. It's a solid clothesline on her. I haven't seen much of Ellering, but she actually, she has a lot of potential. Savannah Evans enters the ring, and then Steeles and Evans isolate Ellering. Then Johnny Swinger comes out here. I was like, yes, Johnny Swinger. During his entrance, Ellering and Evans both get eliminated, and Melina comes out next, and it's straight for Tasha. Swinger attacks some of the knockouts, and then the Kiss Demon comes out. Seriously, the Kiss Demon. Swinger asks for the Demon's autograph and then throws Swinger out almost immediately. Brian Myers comes out next, and then the King of the Deathmatch, Matt Cardona, comes out next. There hasn't been a whole lot of eliminations or any stuff that you've seen outright. Laredo Kid's another mystery entrant. Melina comes out as well, and but she gets thrown out right after eliminating Steels, which was really cool to see. Brian Myers eliminates her. Cardona starts fighting Myers. Then Sam Beal comes out, tries to get back in the good graces of Myers by helping him eliminate Cardona. Rich Swan's next, starts to attack Myers, but Beal helps save his mentor. But he eliminate just so he can eliminate him. Love that spot. Good stuff there. Ace Austin's out next. He eliminates the demon and Swan and Ace wind up exchanging kicks. Good stuff from them. Moose comes out. Absolutely my pick to win here. And he immediately eliminates Beal with a powerbomb to the outside. He starts stomping on a Laredo kid. Then Eddie Edwards comes out just a few moments later. And we get to see some other stuff go down in this match with Alicia entering the match. Alicia Edwards comes out. The husband and wife wail on Moose with the kendo sticks. And it looks like a lot like the pub scene from Shaun of the Dead. Morrissey, W. Morrissey's the final injured. He was already picked as number 15. And every time I see him, the dude looks more and more jacked. Absolutely fantastic. 
Morrissey throws out Alicia and Eddie Edwards tries to survive, but Morrissey big boots the absolute living crap out of him. Rohit Raju gets thrown out by both Moose and Morrissey. He's basically these two just taking out damn near everybody. Sabin eliminates Ace Austin, but Fulton runs in. As the refs are distracted, that allows Moose and Morrissey to eliminate him. So now we're down to Cardona, Swan, Moose, and Morrissey. Then Morrissey tries to eliminate Swan, but Moose took advantage. Eliminate both of them in one fell swoop. Now it's a pinfall or submission match between Moose and Cardona. Pretty short match here between these two, the final two. Moose hits the big spear to win the trophy. Highly entertaining gauntlet match. Great surprises. Absolutely well worth your time. Four links to Buddha. And the, these matches always are pretty damn good. Next up, we go to the Impact Tag Team Championship. Hikaleo and Chris Bay versus Finn Juice and the Good Brothers. A really short match, but it worked. I'd say probably a 10-minute match or so ends with a surprise win. I, I love that finish. It was a good finish here. Because the Good Brothers retained the tag team titles after Finn Juice went for the super superplex splash combo but just as Carl Anderson tagged in just as they went for the second part of the splash, but did it just enough to where it was like a tap. The other guy didn't notice and the ref was able to catch it and rule that a tag. And Carl Anderson got in the win, got the pin to get the win and retain the titles. It was a really good finish. It's not like, Oh, Hey, you know, a random, Oh, Hey, you know, we're just going to slide in and steal it. No, it actually made sense. It worked in angle. Then you have the Knockouts knockouts Championship. I almost said Knockout Tag Team. No, that happened earlier. But we have the Impact Knockouts Championship next. Deanna Perrazzo defending against Mickey James. And she plays the Queen's gimmick really well. Without a doubt, is the best women's wrestler today. Mickey immediately hits a drop kick while the ref is raising the title belt. And they start the match on the outside. They, They explain a few minutes later that the bell never rang. The, they explained later the bell that never rang so they could brawl outside all they want. The ref is absolutely admonishing them, wanting them to kind of get the thing back in the ring. At one point, Mickey James tries to dive off of the stage, but Deanna catches her and rams her into the stage and drags her back to ringside. The bell finally rings about five minutes later, and Deanna just immediately starts wailing on her. Mounts her, just starts raining down punches on her. It was completely one-sided in the opening moment. So like it could have been reminiscence of Brock Cena at SummerSlam 2014. And overall, it was just an ass whooping and a really good contest between these two. But Mickey fought back, right? And they had a double down the match resets Two start exchanging big strikes on their knees while they try and get up. At one point, James, hits a real neck breaker for two. She does that top rope Fez press. And the match really gets going because they kept teasing everything. Deanna wound up hitting the jumping DDT for two. Then you have Deanna try and go for the Queen's Gambit. She finally gets in. She finally gets it. James kicks out at 2.9. She goes for a chair, but the ref prevents her from using it. And Prazo teases a superplex. That doesn't work. Everything. Like, it was a insane finish. James at one point hits a chick kick. With the chair in the front of Deanna's face, Prazo kicks out a 2.9. Prazo, like, it looked like she absolutely screwed up James's arm here, but it was pretty damn cool. Seeing the arm drag off the top row from Prazo, teases the jumping DDT, then James hits one of her own to get the win. Oh, my goodness. This is probably, 
in my mind, was the women's match of the year. There's no doubt in my mind that these two put together a phenomenal match. And on any other card, this would have been the main event. But we get to the main event, Impact Championship, Josh Alexander versus Christian Cage. And it was really good. I think at one point Christian Cage did play the heel, even though it was definitely a face versus face match. It, But it felt like to a certain point, Christian played a really good heel role in this. Cage really kind of took over, was able to play a little dirtier. And all throughout the match, again, very similar to what I saw in the first match where we kept seeing the teasing of the finishers and it didn't necessarily work. The entire time, Josh Alexander went for the ankle lock, but nothing happened. At one point, they do a little like shoot wrestling thing where, and I, I love this too, is all of a sudden Christian teases the kill switch, but Alexander went for the ankle lock. Cage went into his chokehold, but Alexander used his technical skill to turn into a pin for two. Alexander then lands a knee off of Brett's rope to the back of Christian's head. Four, two and a half, obviously teasing up the neck injuries. Josh teased the torture rack. I was like, what the hell is he going to do? Burning hammer? No, nothing ever happened to that. Vintage Christian Cage with the tornado DDT in the corner for two. And I, I always love the way the rolling chaos theory works. And Alexander tried that for two. Then Josh kept going for the ankle lock. Decided to say, screw it. Go for the sharpshooter instead. And, of course, that brings up Montreal since Brian Hebner was officiating the contest. Alexander and Cage fight to, on the top rope. Cage gets a spear off for two after Josh missed, missed the moonsault. Christian tried to hit the kill switch again, but nothing doing. At one point, you saw Alexander tease the C4 spike. Cage got out of it. Couldn't lock in the kill switch because his arm was hurting too much after he had run into the ring post. Alexander finally locks in the ankle lock, but then he decides, I'm going to go ahead and cause even more pain and damage by destroying Cage's arm and steps on it while he has the ankle lock like secured, and that gets Josh Alexander the win, and we have a new Impact World Champion. And it looks more likely than not that the AEW Impact Partnership is over. I'm not saying it's dead, but at least as of right now, it looks to be over and done with Four and a half links to Boudin, a really solid match. And then afterwards, we see Josh's family come into the ring. He run, They run in. And then all of a sudden, and they don't show it. It's the perfect way to put this together. You hear the crowd sort, sort, kind of sort of boo, but then Moose comes out, cashes in. He cashes in his call your shot right then and there, hits the spear, and wins the Impact World title. People were very divisive of this on Twitter Saturday night when this happened. Honestly, this was the perfect way to cap off this angle. This was a great way to cap off a show because now you have a like mega heel and you have a white hot baby face to where I think this guy's going to get over even more when he finally do- when he does beat Moose. Again, wrestling to a certain extent is always going to be about the chase and always be about like seeking out that opportunity. So Moose winning was a great way to end the pay-per-view. You didn't have to go into free TV and you have that shock of, hey, anything can happen when you have the Impact World title and the Call Your Shot trophy. You can call your shot at any time. And this was the perfect time to do it. And now you have a super like heel and a white hot baby face. Now you can run this back 
in January and have Josh Alexander win again. Have him have that redemption, become a two-time champion in the process, but more importantly, give us a really good story. It's not, oh, wait, you know, I, I absolutely liked it. Everybody hated it. This is probably the best thing Impact's done in a hot minute. Welcome back to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 103.7 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. And I want to get right down to brass tacks about what I liked and what I hated from wrestling this week. I'll go with what I liked first, and I'll go with both likes. First things first, Brock Lesnar, the opening segment on SmackDown this week. I didn't see it live, but I was able to see the highlights of it after. He's usually my Friday nights, full disclosure, are, are occupied with high school football during the fall. So SmackDown season premiere, I didn't catch nor did I catch Monday Night Raw last night. I didn't catch much of it anyways. He's well, we had the Saints on Monday Night Football, and honestly, that may have been a crappy game, but probably way more entertaining than what the WWE has been putting out. That said, the opening segment with Brock was perfect because he said he was going to do something and did it and more. He destroyed Roman Reigns, just beat the crap out of him for a good while, and then he wound up breaking a camera, demolished some superstars from the Jabber division, and it only took like Cesaro to stop the Beast from murdering every single person on the roster. And while the whole suspension trope thing has been done to death by Brock Lesnar, it has worked. And it worked again here. Because now you can kind of hold off on having Brock Lesnar burn out, and now you get an opportunity to see, maybe down the road, Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar for the 50th time but this time at WrestleMania, and maybe he is the one to slay the beast, and then we all hate Brock Lesnar after that. But that's a different conversation for a different day. This was a big win. I absolutely liked that they did this. The other thing I liked this week, and I'm going back to Impact Wrestling, is them introducing, inducting, I should say, Awesome Kong into the Hall of Fame. It was such a great speech, and it made me remember how much wrestling... In 2006, and women's wrestling in particular, was treated as a relative afterthought on WWE television. It was more about the bra and panties, the wet t-shirt contest, the lingerie pillow fights, all that crap. And you look over at Impact, you look at TNA Wrestling and what they were doing at that time. It was revolutionary. You had phenomenal, yeah, possibly one of the best women's wrestling feuds of the last 20 years between Awesome Kong and Gail Kim. Those two put on some phenomenal matches. Gail Kim, I think we can put her on a pedestal as one of the best female wrestlers of the last 20 years, of the modern era, since the year 2000. Because I feel like there's a big difference. Obviously, I think Mae Young, Fabio Smooth, no matter what kind of like skeletons are in their closet, they are still regarded as some of the best female wrestlers of all time. They definitely deserve to be in the conversation of Mount Rushmore. But in terms of women wrestling since 2000, since the modern age, whenever we've had titles consistently be part of storytelling, when we've had the women's title mean something, because, I mean, let's be honest, go look at WCW. That women's title meant nothing. Like, it was treated as an afterthought almost immediately. So with that in mind... I just, I'm like, we got to go back and look at 2000. I think we can say without a doubt, Gil Kim is an underrated part 
of the story of women's wrestling being brought to the forefront. There were so many phenomenal matches in Impact Wrestling just from the women's side of things. Taylor Wilde, the, like, the list goes on and on. Raisha Saeed, if she was just cheerleader Melissa, would have been even better. Would have made Impact Wrestling's knockouts division that much stronger. Here's the thing with the difference between what Impact did and what WWE and all these other promotions have done. They came out the gates in 2006 when they reintroduced women's wrestling. They reset it. They made it mean something. They established a lot of new superstars in the process. The Beautiful People was definitely a big one. Angela Love, Velvet Sky, those two really helped kind of lift things up and make sure it's not just a two-woman show, if you will. It's multiple storylines going on all around the same time. And it give, not just gives them something to do, but gives them a point behind why we're seeing these people in the ring every single week. It's not the same old stuff. When Austin Kong and Gail Kim got in the ring, that was something else. We saw Gail Kim come back after her WWE run for the second time around. She was putting on absolute bangers with damn near everybody. So Awesome Kong absolutely deserved to be inducted into the Impact Hall of Fame, not just for her in-ring work, but for the fact that she stood up for what she believed in. Because you got to remember back in 2010, after the tragedy that befell Haiti, it wound up having a natural disaster hit that area worse than anything they had ever experienced before. And Bubba the Love Sponge and his ever-loving wisdom, and he's another person that I could probably say, there's a lot of people probably on my list of people that I hate the most in wrestling. And Hulk Hogan and Bubba the Love Sponge are without a doubt a team and a, and a group of people that I can't stand. And he said something to the effect of censored for Radio Haiti. And Awesome Kong did not take that well. And she literally beat the crap out of him. And deservedly so. She got suspended, later released because of the relationship with Hulk Hogan and Bubba the Love Sponge, all that stuff. Bubba the Love Sponge was later let go, but still, the damage had been done. And it was a PR nightmare and then some. But Awesome Kong did the right thing. Then she went to WWE and had a bit of bad luck getting pregnant then having a miscarriage, all this stuff. And she started to come back to wrestling. Now she's retired. And just seeing her inducted into the Epic Hall of Fame, it reminded me of all the great moments of women's wrestling that I enjoyed watching a lot when I was in high school and early college, whenever it wasn't necessarily all about boobs and ass. Like, that's basically what WWE wanted it to be. It was very much, oh, hey, watch if you want to, but for the most part, you can go take a, take a lap and go ahead and come back, and we'll have more more what you want next. Honestly, TNA did a great job of putting this stuff together, and I don't know how nobody else has really been able to hit that and be consistent with putting together a really good product. Yes, there's been superstars like Angelina Love, like Velvet Sky, that have very much been more accentuating other features, but they still managed to put together really good matches in the ring and they tell good stories. So at the end of the day, it evens out. Meanwhile, I'll go with more of a light hate for me to start off. Then I'll go on my tirade. The WWE decided to change theme songs this week for a couple. And it always is something that I don't like because I don't like change. And changing themes is something I can't stand if it's not done right. If it's not because 
of a drastic, you know, changing character. If it's not done because, oh, hey, this person went from face to a heel and the face song doesn't fit them. And Sami Zayn and Damian Priest were too clear cut. Like, what the bleep did you just do? So Zayn, they basically changed it. It was like Gargano's theme where they had the old theme start up. You're oh, yeah, excited. Then there's like, it just switches into this ridiculous, like almost drum beat. Instead of Scott, it ruined it. And I sat there, I was like, what the hell is going on? And after years of hearing worlds apart, it's so damn good to change it at this point. It's so damn weird to change it. Damien's Priest is okay, but it made his entrance to WWE. And what I'm saying is, it feels generic. It feels watered down because he walked down the ramp, walked down to the ring, and then stopped at the top of the ramp, and then did a signature pose in sync with music and lighting, it felt overdone. And I just hate how we continue to have this, and we have every year or so the entrance music be refreshed and recharged. Like, imagine if you only heard Real American for a couple years, and Hulk Hogan came out to that for maybe two, three years, then changed it to something entirely different, like a generic song or Ultimate Warrior, his iconic theme. Went from something super high energy to more of a slow one or something like that, or it sounded just entirely different. It wouldn't make sense in the long run. That said, there are some exceptions to the rule. I mentioned it earlier. Shinsuke Nakamura, Seth Rollins are two prime examples. They changed their song and it worked for them because it signified a significant character change. You can't just change a theme song all willy nilly without like giving a reason why. And that's something that bugs me. But what else bugs me is. Charlotte Flair, and I've mentioned my uh, Charlotte Flair burnout thing because I've gotten tired of seeing her in the ring every single time I turned around, but this was a disappointing situation. I was wondering when we were going to get tired of this, and a little bit, I think now, not just the fans are tired of it, but the wrestlers are as well. They're tired of her. They had to physically throw her out of a live TV taping on SmackDown after the title swap segment, which was a horrible idea. And I, in fact, kind of predicted it on this podcast, on Twitter, that they were going to do this as soon as the draft started. And you go ahead and flip the script, and I'm sitting in my home watching watching the DVR of it, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? She dropped the title. Like, quite literally, dropped the title before she handed it over to Becky. And apparently, she's become, like, just as bad as Shawn Michaels. And it's like, why do we have to continually have her be this diva inside, outside the ring, where she's basically built up in her mind... That she's the hottest thing since sliced bread. And apparently this has been going on for a while. It's just the slow but sure deterioration of Charlotte Flair not even being a likable person. I don't know how Andrade Alilo deals with this crap. He's probably the one that's like, come on, girl. I get it together. I, I sat there at my house like, what the hell is going on? Why am I seeing Charlotte Flair do this? And it looks like. Honestly, everybody just wants to take liberties with her and beat the crap out of her. Honestly, I wouldn't blame them. Not one bit. Because I sat there watching nothing but a 
petulant child act like a petulant child inside the ring. And then apparently outside the ring, there was even more of a dust up that caused her to be escorted out. I've never heard anybody be escorted out of an arena before. That ain't a good look. Everything about that just like put me in a different spot. I can't, I can't stand Charlotte Flair already. Now you've made it even more of a pain in my ass to see this continue. And Charlotte Flair just needs to just go away for a while, like for a long while. I understand she's the champion, vacator of the title because of the way she acted. Because that's the only way you're going to get her to realize, hey, get your bleep together or you're going to lose your spot. And I guarantee you, she ain't going to want to lose her spot anytime soon, Jack. Is she she covets that like Gollum covets the one ring, the precious. I can't stand the fact that we're continuing to go down this primrose path and she's going to continue to have her way. It's disgusting to me. And I just don't understand where that's coming from. I understand it's the, it's the flair way to a certain extent. She very much lives in that mindset of, oh, hey, I'm the queen. Everything should revolve around me. To quote Conrad Thompson, mother bleeper, this ain't about you. This is about being a ambassador for the WWE and more importantly, being professional. For instance, I guarantee you, go look at last night on Monday Night Football when you saw Jameis Winston and Traquan Smith have at it on the sideline. I guarantee you, as soon as that was done, probably after the game, they talked about it like adults. They didn't let this thing be a full-blown dust-up, or at least I don't think so, to where somebody's got to get kicked out of the locker room. This is a problem of a person being too entitled and needs to get her ass in line. And I don't know how you're going to do it because nobody apparently wants to even talk to her. She's just isolated herself and treated herself like this pun intended total diva, or I should just say it right now. She's being a total bitch. Or maybe I should go even further, but I'm not. But she is definitely the definition of a total bitch. And it's mind boggling to me. You've been pretty much given everything because of your last name, Flair. You've been given everything. And now you want to act this way. And you still have two years left in your contract. Way to think this through, Charlotte, you dumb bitch. Like, I can't stand. I can't, I couldn't stand her already because you continually just shove her down our throats and we're supposed to be okay with it. No. I don't want to have, I don't want to hear it. The WWE continues to coddle Charlotte Flair, and it's disgusting. We'll wrap things up on a more of a positive note because a positive note, also a little bit of a bad note when it comes right down to it. And that is talking about the G1 Climax final, the final day of the G1 Climax was full of headlines. And I think without a doubt, it was a phenomenal moment and it was great to see. Then we got bad news. So first off, we get a phenomenal like return of Shibata. And those who don't necessarily remember the entire story of Shibata, or maybe you aren't necessarily a huge fan of wrestling in Japan, you're not necessarily a huge New Japan guy, but Shibata is without a doubt one of those intriguing guys. Katsuhiro Shibata is like, he was 
supposed to be done after his injury in 2017. Because after he won the New Japan Cup in 2017, he had a phenomenal match at Sakura Genesis against Okada. But these two were just beating the crap out of each other, and apparently he was dehydrated enough to where he had a headbutt that basically caused a whole bunch of blood to just drip down his face immediately. And after the match, Shibata collapsed backstage, rushed to a hospital, and he had a subdural hematoma. And the injury apparently was similar to what killed MMA artist Tim Haig a couple of months later. The injury was caused by that repeated use of the headbutt, something he had been doing regularly since 2016. And that combined with severe dehydration caused some paralysis on the right side of his body. And it was later reported that he was never going to wrestle again. This was 2017. And the first match that he had back was against Zack Sabre Jr., Probably one of the like best wrestlers to have your first match back in. And it was an exhibition, a five-minute UWF rules match. And it's all by the Universal Wrestling Federation, which is based out of Japan. So it was a lot more realistic and almost shoot-style pro wrestling. It's not strong style. It was more, I'd say, akin to what we see with Ring of Honor with their pure rules. And it ends in a draw. And Shibata felt like he was good doing good and he said the next time he steps in the ring it'll be a proper wrestling match such a good feeling to see Shibata back and just the fact you had him return if only it wasn't during the pandemic because the fans were like there was a there was a roar but I think if Shibata had come back like or just hadn't like appear made special appearances from time to time been paired with Kenta but again I think we're all building towards Kenta versus Shibata as a match at Wrestle Kingdom, which would kick all kinds of ass. And also, it'd be a great end to a story because Shibata turned, excuse me, Kenta turned on Shibata after joining the Bullet Club. Now you have an opportunity to kind of tie that story up after a couple of years. And then we can maybe get Shibata Brian Danielson in a match down the road, which honestly, I think the entire internet is clamoring for right now. So honestly, the sky is the limit for what. New Japan can do, especially with that forbidden door still being open, but not necessarily as wide open as it has been in the past. But the thing I'll get to now that I wasn't necessarily a huge fan of and I hated to see was the way G1 Climax ended because it was down to Ibushi and Okada in the finals, and it was a really fun match. And then just as Ibushi goes for his signature, Phoenix Splash, Okada moves out of the way, and just he landed a certain way to where he like basically screwed up his arm, broke his arm, and he you could tell like the second he landed, he just doesn't move. His arm is broken. They have to call the match due to ref stoppage, and Okada is headed to Wrestle Kingdom, presumably, if he doesn't lose the contract. Because he's gotta defend it. And he's probably gonna defend against Tamatanga before long. So there's something to be said about what's gonna happen next. I just, I hated to see somebody like Okada lose his opportunity. Oh, excuse me, Ibushi possibly lose another opportunity and probably going to miss out on Wrestle Kingdom. I was seeing something about two to three weeks, no, two to three months, I should say, for him to actually return to the wrestling ring. 
but there's no way that's actually an accurate portrayal of that injury because I feel like it could be like massively worse. So I think there's going to be something else going on from that perspective before long. But that's going to about do it from the for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Make sure you leave a five-star review, and we'll be back with you this time next week with another edition of the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Until then, enjoy the wrestling, and be excellent to each other, guys. Don't be a Charlotte Flair. Flair.